after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road. And the donkey stood by it, the lion also stood by the corpse. And there, men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now when the, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of, God, of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to him. Verse 27. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. Verse 29. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on, on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to moon and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over, over, over him, saying, Alas, my brother. Verse 31. So it was, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. 32. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the, of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated. He consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Amen. Further consequences of disobeying the word of God. Let's summarize. Let's do a first summary of what is happening here. Number one. There is a disqualification a mission drift a mission drift it is the idea of a ship that is navigating away very very slowly 
If you ever take and travel by boat, by ship, you don't realize how far it's moving from the coast very, very, very slowly without you realizing that it's moving away. That is the idea of drifting away. So there was a mission drift here. Go this way, the man of God went that way. From the altar to the street. Mission drift. Secondly, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your father. In Judah, consequences. Three, Jeroboam did not turn away from his evil way. Despite all the signs, you know, the word of God, you know, the, the altar splitting apart, you know, and uh, dust coming out of it and ashes, you know, his, his hand withering and being restored. No. Four. False priests were multiplied because high places were now everywhere. The strategy was just, you know, just create places for worship. We will fill the roles. Just create, you know, we'll sort out. We know we have a strategy in place for the workers. Number five, Jeroboam himself became self-appointed priest. Number six. Priests were made from every class of people. From every class of people. You and I know where the priests should come from. But now they were being made from every class of people. Furthermore, whoever wished to become a priest... Jeroboam consecrated him. Whoever wished. Not from the Levite. Look at chapter 12, verse 31. 12, verse 31. He made shrine on high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Number seven. Generally, Widespread idolatry followed by more, more, and more, and deeper, and dark idolatry. Everywhere was just spreading, and spreading, and spreading. Why did Jeroboam do this? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to stop people from going to worship in Judah. He wanted to stop people from going back because it was a political game for him. If they go back to worship in Judah, in Jerusalem, where God has chosen to establish his name, then they will return, their heart will return to Rehoboam. That was his strategy. 
What is obeying the Lord? Obeying the Lord means doing what is right in his sight. It is upholding the Lord's righteousness on his own terms. Speaking of old and new apostates, Jude 11 to 12 reads, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have greedily and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are sports in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are cloud without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn tree without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the root, raging wave of the sea, forming up their own shame. Now, this is where I like the English language. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Blackness of darkness for the false prophet is reserved for them. Trees without fruit. You can't even judge them by the fruit. There's no any. They've gone in the way of Cain, that is hatred, human effort. They've run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, that is greediness. Yaakov Prash referred to them as money preachers. Perished in the rebellion of Korah, that is pride and rebellion. These false prophets, self-appointed, they're really, really arrogant, really, really arrogant. You may blaspheme Christ, is not a problem, but don't touch them. So is the fanatics. We can now return to our main text and examine a little bit the characters we have here, the different characters. King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam was Solomon's servant to whom the Lord gave the kingdom of Israel. He fled to Egypt because Solomon sought to kill him. He remained in Egypt until Solomon died. But why did Jeroboam come prominently into play? It was because of Rehoboam's stubbornness. You see, Rehoboam became very, very hostile toward his father Solomon's counselors. Rehoboam preferred to listen to, young, to the young men who had grown up with him. It is in the Bible. Have you ever heard the word gerontocracy? Good, gerontocracy. Geron in, uh, in Greek means old, older. Democracy, ruling government, etc. Gerontocracy 
is a system of ruling where all the people are ruling and setting the rules according to them from their point of view. If it's old-fashioned, then that will be imposed on everybody. If it's according to their own experience, that's what they will impose on everybody. La gerontocratie in French. Gerontocratie. Many young people don't like that. But let, it, let, let us look from the young people's point of view now. There is something called gerontophobia. It's a real word. Geron, older, phobias, fear. Where young people don't want to hear anything from the elderly, from older generations. The, the, the presence of the elderly or older generation makes them insecure because they feel that there will always be something we will do wrong and they will put their finger on it. It is my conviction that Rehoboam suffered from that condition. Refuse to heal his father's counselors, those who had made his father great and everything. He refused that. And the people came to him and said, please, can you rule different? He said, well, I did that, but I will rule with scorpion. I will make it harder for you. And that's the reason why Jeroboam fled and many people went with him. Not only Solomon had displeased the Lord God because of his idolatry, but his son as well. His ruling system displeased God. And that created the split. Ten tribes went and they remained with two tribes because of God's faithfulness towards David, not because of them. You've learned something there. Gerontophobia is not a good thing. Listen to the elderly, listen to all the generations, there is wisdom there. And God wants that. It's the will of God. And because he wanted to do his own things, he lost a big part of the kingdom. Should I say that again? I think he suffered from a condition called ger ger gerontophobia. That is the fear of age-related self-degeneration or a hatred of fear of the elderly. And that cost him a big part of the kingdom. But generally speaking, it was because, of, because Israel had forsaken the Lord and worshipped Ashtoreth, Chemosh, Milcom, etc. We say that last week, not going into that. Remember that massive digression? Not doing that today. Now, that was King Jeroboam, character number one. Character number two. Josiah. There is a prophecy in verse 2. Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born of the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priest. 
of the high places who burn incense on you, and man's bones shall be burned on you. That's Josiah. This prophecy was fulfilled, was confirmed by astonishing signs on that day, such as Jeroboam's hand withering, the altar splitting apart, and the ashes coming out of the altar. Let's do our second reading before continuing. Remember, we're now talking about Josiah. Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. We're reading from verse 11 to verse 19. That's 2 Kings 22, 11 to 19. Now it happens, when the king heard the word of the book of the law, that is King Josiah, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbo, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the word of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is wrath against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akboshephan, Shephan, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Ahaz, keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in second quarter. And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, that's the king, verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, therefore my wrath shall be roused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the word which you have heard. Verse 19. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolate and a curse, 
and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Humbleness, humility of hearts, godly reaction when the word of God is neglected. Question. What is the sentiment, what is the feeling of our hearts when the word of God is neglected? Do we just, doesn't matter, you know, God will look after it himself, you know, it's God's business. Do we feel tormented inside? Do we feel sad? Are we grieved with the Lord when his word is being despised and neglected? Josiah was the great-grandson of King Hezekiah. He reigned over Judah 330 years after the prophecy we read in 1 Kings 13, verse 2. So there was about four centuries apart from the prophecy to its fulfillment. It's absolutely amazing that four centuries earlier the Lord will give a prophecy with a precise name of the child. I find that amazing, astonishing. And you will notice that Josiah as he reigned over Israel he does not know that there was that prophecy. He does not know. That will be revealed to him almost at the end of his mission. He does not know. He was a tender-hearted and humble person before the Lord. He was in deep indignation because people had disobeyed the word of God. He tore his clothes seeing people disobeying the word of God. Josiah found the book of the law first and then repaired the damage in the house of the Lord. You see, when things go wrong in the body of Christ, more rules and dispute over the doctrine will not fix the problem. We need to rediscover the centrality of the word of God first. The word of God must have preeminence first. And everybody must play and live by the word of God. That's the only way things can be fixed in the body of Christ. Josiah found the book of the law first and then repaired the damage in the house of the Lord. Yes, he had very good intention in his heart to repair the house of the but all the good intentions were futile without the word of God. When the man of God, Hilkiah, found the book, he said, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. It is in the house of the Lord that we need to find the word of God. 
And then what did he do? He did not take the law, the book of the law, and uh, you know, start fabricating and uh, you know, scribbling things. No. He said, go and inquire to the Lord. Now pray. Pray now to the Lord. Pray for everybody. I know already that we've departed from this book. Just by the location and the state in which the book was, it was neglected by so many kings. As he read the books, he realized that Israel had departed from the Lord. Straight away, he realized that judgment was on them. Straight away. Let's do something about this. Begin to pray. Begin to intercede. Begin to implore mercy from God. All from the starting point, the book. God manual, use a manual for holiness. What else did he do? He inquired of the Lord concerning the work, the word of the book. Then he restored true worship. Hmm. That's a problem. Worship is a problem. You see, sometimes people think that God is lonely in heaven. God is lonely in heaven. Let, I attended one church where uh, the pastor was talking and then he was telling people, give me some noise, give me some noise. You know, and people were shouting, you know, just like Toronto Blessing. Everybody, you know, any noise, like cats, whatever, you know, just any noise. God is happy with that. Give me some noise. Wow. That worship. I was told of a church where the young people were so excited with the, you know, the praise and worship. You know, at some point in the excitement, there was a big screen there. They put the screen, there was the NBA basketball going on, and they were looking at the favorite stars playing, all part of the worship. It was. Now, let me, let me be careful with what I'm going to say now. God does not receive all the prayers. Now. Now. There are times where God shot like this. Now, 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 not that. No. You see, we've come to into a really bad habits. I'm talking about the body of Christ. That we can just do whatever we want to do and come before God and just shout, just mumbling a few words and, you know, uttering whatever we want. You know, we just say things. And sometimes you hear people say, do it right now. Huh? Wow. God. The fear of the Lord is gone. 
there is a difference between shouting to the Lord and shouting at the Lord. We believe in God. We found in the Bible that King David, and you see that almost everywhere in Psalms, when David is praying to the Lord, quite often he's praying for the Lord to hear him. He's not giving orders to the Lord. No. Incline your ears, Lord. Those are people who know God. Because God is God and we are sinners. And we are praying for the Lord to listen to us. And we are praying for the Lord to purify our heart. We are praying for the Lord to, for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the heart of God so that we may pray accordingly. God can only receive what is his. Ah, we've come to a very bad state now of giving order and commanding God things to do. Shouting at the Lord rather than shouting to the Lord. God is to be approached with fear, respect, and reverence. He is God. The mighty angels who surround his throne cannot even look at him. They cover themselves. Think about that. Think about the holy prophet Isaiah when he had that vision. What was his reaction? Who are we? Come to the Lord with fear and trembling in our heart, dear brethren. That applies to all of us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have to learn this thing. You may say they are basic. That's fine. Remember what I told you? I'm the preacher to the unsophisticated and basic lovers. The fear of the Lord is a starting point. Well, you may say, oh, don't go there. God looks at the earth. God looks at the earth and no appearance. No. No, 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 no. The Bible speaks of, uh, you know, how people should be clothed decently as the women of old, etc. Not just having pendant stuff, etc. But that inner beauty God is looking for. Yes, look at that. But he also speaks about the way we present ourselves before him. Christmas people standing before the Lord praying like this. With hands in the pockets like this. Before God. Really? Would we do that before the queen? Oh, Brother Guy, don't go there. That's too much. That's legalism. It's not. In other places, people bow down before God. Kings! You know, a friend who was committed to uh, uh, the queen's guards, and uh, he was fortunate one day to be uh, in a private chapel where the, where, where the queen was with her family, and at the time of prayer, you know, uh, the queen knelt down like this. And the brother told me, he said, I realize that Jesus is the king of kings. The queen bows before Christ. 
our president in Congo bows publicly in a stadium before people and cry out to the Lord. He is king of kings. It is our friend. He is our friend in a sense. But we still need to have reverence when approaching Christ. It's very, very important. In particular, we of the household of God, we should lead by example. Because if a non-believer comes here and he sees us worshiping God, he needs to learn the fear of the Lord. He needs to say, oh, is this the same Jesus people swear about? People disrespect? Wow, what is special here? These people, listen to what they're saying. Look at the way they behave. See how they conduct themselves. And when he goes out, he's challenged. Not coming in the house of the Lord and not seeing a difference. I'm not saying that what we do. But I'm preaching to the body of Christ of which we are part. You see, Josiah was battling against idolatry that was practiced for about 330 years before him. Well, that's quite big. That was a big, big, massive battle to do. But again, that reminds me that we have to pray with a purpose. We have to pray for future monarchs, however dark the country might be. There is always hope. The Lord answers prayer. If we pray earnestly with a purpose, pray for the future monarch. And we are fortunate, we are blessed, I would say, because in this country, we even know them long in advance. We even know generations of monarchs who will come to the crown. We know them in advance. So it's important that we pray, rather than just complaining, things have gone wrong, things have gone wrong, things have gone Pray. Even if we don't see the deliverance, pray for future monarch. Maybe God will raise one day a Josiah who will turn upside down all the idolatry and all the things. Maybe. Let's pray and trust that God can do it. So we've spoken of Jeroboam, we've spoken of Josiah. We'll come back to Josiah in a minute. Now the man of God from Judah. The man of God from Judah. Well, this man of God was genuinely called and he was mightily used by God. He had a clear mission and had God's words, power and protection at his disposal, but he disobeyed. Interesting facts. The man of God withstood King Jeroboam who represent the political power. Maybe because of the confrontation that was open and visible. However, the man of God failed to discern the old prophet's deception. I said that last week. It's very easy to spot, to identify and discern what is being said wrongly, all the blasphemy outside the church, and to complain about it. But it's more difficult to discern falsehood and deception inside the body of Christ. You see, this man withstood, withstood the king, but he was deceived by a false prophet. That's a general attitude. 
Everybody's complaining. Everybody's aware of what is going on in the world. But what about the church itself? That is more subtle. Let me say a word about a short spiritual journey of this man of God. Just from the text we're having here. In the text here, the expression man of God is said nine times. So you see, before his fall, he is referred to as man of God. Always. Man of God. Word of God, man of God, word of God, man of God. See the progress now. In verse 23, that first Kings 13, 23, he's now referred to as the prophet who came back. No longer man of God, but the prophet who came back. In verse 26, the man of God who was disobedient. Can you see the progress there? From nine-time man of God to prophet who came back, prophet who disobeyed. And then, in verse 29, the corpse of the man of God is now a dead body of the man of God. In verse 30, this is the false prophet talking. The brother of the old, the old prophet is now referred to as the brother of the old prophet. How sad. From man of God to identification with the false prophets. And then verse 31. Buried in the same tomb as the old prophets, not with his fathers. Tragedy. Can you see that journey? From mighty man of God to being buried with a false prophet. Let's be very careful with these things. Let's be very, very, very careful. First Kings 13 verse 24. When he was gone, a lion met with him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it, the lion also stood by the corpse. Oh, the body of the man of God is now on the streets at the disposal of a lion. Anybody, people are just passing, oh, the man of God is there, a lion stood there, a donkey stood there. Man of God. Man of God. Adam Clark who was a 19th century British Methodist theologian and biblical scholar in the 19th century, wrote about 1 Kings 13, verse 24, what follows, quotes, By this fearful example, God set forth how dangerous it is for men to behave coldly, coldly or deceitfully in the charge to which God has called them. By permitting himself to be seduced by the old prophet, by ignoring the expressly declared counsel of God, the man of God committed the sin unto death, mentioned in 1 John 5, 16 to 17. 
This example also shows us that the judgment begins at the house of God. In fact, to whom much is given, much more will be required. The man of God received a great revelation and brought the prophecy to be fulfilled 330 years later, even giving the name of the king who would restore the fear of the Lord and execute righteous judgment of God. 1 Peter 4, 17-18 For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, interestingly, I told you that I could be preaching here with uh, ten of you, because every one of you really told me very interesting things uh, last week. Here is one of them I learned from the congregation. The judgment of God begins in the house of the Lord. This is interesting because according to Kings 12, 12, 12, 29, King Jeroboam set up two golden calves, one in Bethel, which means house of God, and the other in Dan. Dan means judge or judgment. And yes, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. This is very deep, isn't it? The sin was a gross disobedience to the Lord's commands which God decided to punish with death. See also judgment of David when he took uh, uh, Bathsheba, uh, Uriah, yes, uh, wives. You know, the judgment was very severe. The sword shall never depart from your house. You know, and in your own house there will be death. It was complete chaos because of what they saw. The Lord does punish uh, those who uh, his. The punishment of David was pronounced in 2 Samuel 12, 10-12. And Moses not entering Canaan. Doesn't the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 1, He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will be suddenly destroyed and without remedy. 1 Kings 13, verse 31. The old prophet requested to be buried in the same tomb as the man of God. This was certainly in order for him to avoid his bones being burned on the altar when the Lord executed his judgment 330 years later by the hand of Josiah. This is not new. It's not new. The old prophet thought to have salvation by being buried in the same tomb as the man of God. That is not new. In 2 Kings 13.21, someone was thrown in Elisha's tomb and recovers life, came back to life. It happens. In Jude verse 9, we learn that the devil disputed with the archangel Michael, the body of Moses. You know, we belong to Christ. In life or in death, we belong to Christ. We belong to him. Because we have his life in us. The power of God is manifest where there is obedience. Political and world power will fear the Lord if his servant remain obedient. We learn from the testimony of uh, history how uh, Westminster, uh, House of Westminster Parliament was in trouble whenever the man of God, John Wesley, 
was coming from Bristol to this nation, to this capital. Sometimes some people will, you know, refrain from voting some laws because the man of God was in the capital. Because John Wesley preached, preached, revived the preaching, the need for holiness and sanctification. Praise the Lord for that. He's gone now. The Methodist church is there. Someone say all that is left is only methods. Someone else say they are now the young brothers of the Catholics. Ministers of the world must remain obedient to God, discerning and vigilant against so-called recipe for successful ministries and reckless pursuit for fame. David learned to feed the small flock. He learned to obey God, looking after the small flock of his fathers. He was obedient. He learned to protect them against the lion and against the bear. But God was preparing him for a great ambition on display publicly. And what would David say? The same God who has delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the foot of the bear today will deliver you, Goliath. Those who are faithful in small things will be faithful in big things. Let us excel with the Lord in what we're doing, casting down pretension, having a lower opinion of ourselves. That what is godly, unfortunately, everyone is Billy Graham. Everyone is Billy Graham. Everyone. Who will teach who? Everyone knows everything. Sadly. Yet the Lord has raised ministries for the equipping of the saints and the edification of the church. I am going to say to tell you something which will not, will not, was not prepared. The Bible says this. Is anyone amongst you sick? Let him call the elders. And they will pray to him. They will anoint him with oil. But the prayer of faith will affect. And if they have committed any sin, God will forgive them. That's a delegated authority by God himself. It takes humility to call your elders to pray for you. But God has appointed them not just to pray, not just to teach. We are accountable to the Lord for praying for the sheep. It grieves us. When people are suffering, yes, illness can be natural. It is natural. It is natural. But we still need, as a church, to pray and as elders to also pray specifically being mandated by God himself. Now that takes 
humility. But behind humility, there is God to fulfill his will. Call your elders to pray for you. It is biblical. They are accountable to the Lord to do that. They need to prepare themselves in prayer to come and help you. That's why we are here. We're not here for argument over the word of God and doctrines. No, we are here to look after the flock, the church of God, which God has purchased by his own blood. And that's part of our work. The old prophet... Why was he called? Oh, no, sorry. Let me say something. Matthew Henry, who is a biblical scholar, wrote this. That God is displeased at the sins of his own people, and no man shall be protected in disobedience by the sanctity of his profession, the dignity of his office, his nearness to God, or any good service he has done for God. By this God intended to warn all those whom he employs strictly to observe their orders at their own peril. Well, the fact that we are preaching the word of God, the fact that we are praying, means nothing in terms of obedience. We all play by the same rules. But especially those who preach the word of God. They are more accountable because they are supposed to know what they are preaching. And they will be judged more severely. The pressure is on permanently. If I answer you, if I make you sad, well, it's not just a human thing. If I, if I misbehave, as I've probably done a few times with some of you, well, it's not just a human thing. I'm accountable before God. Because if I make you sad, it's, uh, there is more judgment than if you make me sad. Because I'm one of your elders, I'm supposed to have a bigger heart. <laughs> to forgive more. The pressure is on permanently. So it's easy for you to see my weaknesses our weaknesses. So pray for us. Why was this man called a false prophet? We don't know. Maybe because he was the most experienced tricker. The last resort for the king. The most cunning person. Look at the kind of tricks he put in place. To overcome a such powerful man of God. Maybe that's why he's called an old priest. Because he had to make sure that they perpetuate, you know, idolatry. He probably was the king's right hand to achieve this kind of things. So let's be very careful with people who approach our ministry and say, this is the way you should do. 
to be more successful. The church is not growing steadfastly. This is what you need to do. You know, be strong, be tough with them. Do not let them do this. In my church, I do this. Do let be very careful and understand what we've been called to. You see, we can uh, we can imitate other people' perseverance. But we cannot imitate someone's ministry or calling. Unfortunately, that's the trap. That when people have seen their own heroes and try to duplicate that model, it doesn't work. Because you cannot imitate a calling, someone else's ministry. You can imitate the perseverance of the forefathers and other believers and learn from them. But you cannot replicate a ministry. The, whole, the old prophet was seduced. Seduction is not a good word. It's not a good word. It's those family of world where there's only a negative meaning. Now, if you are a young lady and a man say, I want to marry you and say, because you've seduced me, have a serious discussion with them. You're not a seductress. Seduction comes from the Greek word apoplanao. Apo means leading astray. Diverting someone from the truth. And planao means through charms and spells and magic tricks. So seduction means leading someone, attracting someone by witchcraft. By bewitching them. That's what it means. Therefore, our Christian ladies, young ladies, I mean, they are not seductress. Do not accept that. Paul says, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your mind may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen carefully. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So there is always a potential for another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. That's the job description of false prophets. That's what they are after, to propagate this. Matthew 24, verse 4, take heed that no man deceives you. That is, seduce you. It's the same word. Matthew 25, 24, verse 5, many will come and we say, I am the Christ, and shall deceive. That is, seduce many. Matthew 24, verse 11, false prophets shall rise and shall deceive. That is, seduce many. That's their job description. Seducing and deceiving. The corpse of the man of God was now at the lion's full disposal, like Samson was at the Philistines' disposal. We also remember how the enemy disputed Moses' body after his death. The Lord shut the lion's mouth when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Even then, the lion was there, a representation of the devil, but could not do anything because the Lord was caring. You see what often happens when we go through trial? Or when the enemy, you know, attacks us, 
Even when it is a trial from the Lord, even when it's a testing from the Lord, the enemy will want to get involved and to extend beyond what is necessary. We need to be mindful and cling on to the Lord and not give him room to expand things beyond what is necessary. Our disobedience as well may be a cause for extending some bad situation that happened with the first generation in the wilderness. Because of their disobedience, they ended up spending more time than what it was, was intended originally. The donkey appears as an instrument, sadly, happily, usually. The donkey in the Bible always appears as an instrument in God's service. But in this particular instance, the donkey seems to have been offered by the false prophet, prepared and saddled by the false prophet. So it became a trap for the man of God. In summary, I can skip that. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, the Lord says. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23. In the Bible, prophecies are God-inspired prediction or revelation of future events. They relate to world-shaking and shaping global events. They are not cheap, fake, false, and counterfeit tricks and cunningly devised paranormal cheats. A true prophecy involves the Lord's integrity. A true prophecy involves truthfulness and God's omniscience. Because God knows everything, he can reveal future events. As we're closing this, I'm reading for you from Second Kings. Verse 23, 13 to 20. The reason I'm doing this is because I want to exhort us to be very angry at sin and to fight sin. To be very angry and to fight idolatry wherever possible. That was the attitude of Josiah. And God was pleased with that. To fight idolatry when we identify it in our heart or on our paths. Second Kings 23, 13 to 20. The act of King Josiah. Second Kings 23, 13 to 20. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, Mount of Corruption built by Solomon, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonian, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabite, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Verse 14. And he broke that Josiah in pieces, the sacred pillars, remember, obelisks, and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made. 
both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it into to powder and burned the wooden image as Josiah turned he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain and he sent and took the bones out of the tomb and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed four centuries ago who proclaimed this word verse 17 then he said what gravestone is this that I see so the man of the city told him it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel and he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone. With the bone of the prophet who came from Samaria. Verse 19. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. Which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to the deed he had done in Bethel. He executed the, the, all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bone on them and he returned to Jerusalem. 100% fulfillment of what God had foretold. Sin remains sin. However human renamed it, God, holiness, and righteousness, righteousness are unchanged. In the same way they triumphed 330 years later, the judgment day foretold in the Bible is coming quickly. And there is only one way to escape. That is accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our heart and flee from idolatry. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you and we say thank you for the word of God. And we pray that, Lord, you will uh, help us, Lord, to be obedient, to flee from idolatry. We give praise and honor to you as we commit your people unto your holy hands. Bless each one of us as we depart from this place and be with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.